Most holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Father, for another opportunity you've given us to live on this good earth and to study and to grow and to learn more about your word. Father, I pray that you will bless this study as we continue to learn about your great servant, the Apostle Paul. Bless us, Father, to be able to appreciate his zeal for you and his humble heart and how you exalted him and blessed him to do great things in the kingdom. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, who not only saves people like the Apostle Paul, but saves all sinners, saves every one of us, and brings us into your heavenly kingdom if we submit ourselves to you. I pray, Father, for the sick and the hurting and the grieving, all your people across the globe who are suffering and need encouragement at this time. I pray that you will bless them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our last video, if you were able to watch that, then you know that we spent our time getting familiar with Saul, with Saul of Tarsus. We got familiar with Saul of Tarsus in our last video. We looked at several scriptures in the book of Acts. We learned uh, from Saul, who would later become the great apostle Paul, that he was a Pharisee. He was part of a, of a very prominent Jewish sect, and he was very zealous about the law. He was very skilled and zealous about the law of Moses. In fact, he was so zealous about the law of Moses that several times uh, throughout his writings, Paul tells us that he was a persecutor of the church. He tried to destroy the church. He tried to, to stomp out the Lord's kingdom. He was a very fierce persecutor of the church. And he was such a fierce persecution of the church that his conversion, his conversion to Jesus Christ may be the most radical case of conversion in the whole Bible. I mean, who would have thought that this man, this man who was so zealous about the law of Moses, this man who was a fierce persecutor of the church, who would have ever thought in a million years that he would become a Christian? Now, we concluded our last video by considering what the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, we're going to be in Acts 8 and Acts 9 in this particular video. We're going to also look at some other scriptures in Acts, but primarily we're going to be about in about Acts 8 and Acts 9. Now, in our last video, we concluded that video by learning that after the death of Stephen, after Stephen was stoned by the Jewish Sanhedrin council, Saul began a great persecution against the church. Saul began trying to destroy and assault the church. In fact, his assault and persecution against the church was so great that it forced the church in Jerusalem to scatter. The disciples in Jerusalem had to leave the city. They had to leave their homes and scatter around the region of Judea and even Samaria. Only the apostles had the courage to remain in Jerusalem. Saul forced the church to scatter. He did that by going from house to house, going into Christians' homes, 
dragging them out of their homes and throwing them in jail. This episode with Stephen, the murder of Stephen, seemed to have made Saul very zealous and it even emboldened him, emboldened him when he came to trying to destroy the church. He seized on that moment. Christian is the, or Stephen, I'm sorry, is the first Christian in the Bible uh, to be murdered. That we can read about him being murdered, and that actually was a, a launching point for Saul when it came to trying to destroy the church. Now, I want to talk about Acts chapter 9 in this particular video. Once you get past verse number 4 to Acts chapter 8, the rest of that chapter is really about the work that a Christian and preacher named Stephen does in Samaria. While Saul was trying to destroy the church, God actually used his persecution as an opportunity to spread Christians throughout the region and people like Philip continued to preach the gospel and the kingdom continued to grow. Through Saul's evil actions, God providentially actually was able to take the gospel to Samaritans. People like the Samaritans started to become Christians. They were added to the church. And so the gospel is prospering despite this great persecution that is led by Saul. Now, I want to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. This is a lengthy read, but it will set up everything we want to talk about in this video. In Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, and this is after Luke tells us about Philip's work in Samaria. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, the way of Jesus Christ, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his, and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, 
has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight and got up, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Okay, in those verses, and let those soak in for just a moment. In those verses, we read about the conversion of this great persecutor of the church. These verses, we read about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And as I've already stated, Saul of Tarsus' conversion may be one of the most radical and powerful cases of conversion in all the Bible. Now, in this video, now that we've talked about Saul's background, now that we've talked about his life before he became a Christian, in this video, I want to talk with you about how he became a Christian. I want to talk with you about what may be the most radical case of conversion in the book of Acts. I want to talk with you about, about the Saul of Tarsus being converted by the Lord and becoming a Christian. Now, as we begin talking about Saul's conversion, there are a couple of things that I think should really stand out to us from what we've read. First, I think from these verses we can clearly see that Saul was someone who needed to be converted, right? He needed to be, he needed to be converted. He needed to be changed. He needed to develop a new heart. He needed to be saved from his sins. I mean, notice what we, we find him doing in the first two verses of this chapter. Notice how in this chapter we find him continuing to viciously assault the church. He's continuing to, to try to destroy the church. He is threatening Christians. He is, he is wanting to even kill Christians. He, he, he actually asks permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to travel to Damascus and along the way, any Christians that he came into contact with, he wanted to arrest them. He wanted authority to, to bind them and, and bring them back, bring them back to Jerusalem and throw them in jail. Saul hates Christians. He's clearly hostile towards Christianity. He's clearly someone who is opposed to the will of Jesus Christ. He is lost in his sins. He is someone who's actually in allegiance with the devil, and he's not aware of that. He actually thinks he's doing the will of God, but he actually is a work of Satan at this time. He needs to be converted. He needs to be taught the gospel. He needs to be brought to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, Saul himself confesses this or admits this in his letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul, he talks about his life as Saul. And he says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Notice how Paul says here that not only was he a sinner, but he was the chief of sinners for a time. He was the foremost of all 
sinners. He says that Jesus came into the world to save people like him. His point is, is if Jesus could save him, then Jesus can save anybody. If Jesus could save a, a vicious persecutor of the church, then Jesus can save me, and he can also save you. Paul admits here that there was a time when he was lost, when he was the chief sinner because he persecuted the church. And before we're quick to turn our noses up at Saul, let's just acknowledge for just a moment how there was a time, if we're Christians, there was a time we were all like Saul. We were all like Saul. Now, we may not have persecuted the church. We may not have gone from house to house and drug Christians out of their homes and threw them in jail. We may not have taken pleasure and seeing Christians stoned to death, that may not have described us, but we do have our sins, right? We do have things that we have done that are contrary to the will of God, whether it's lying or fornication or adultery or drunkenness or gossip or thievery. We all have done something that is contrary to the will of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That verse not only is to be applied to someone like Saul of Tarsus, but that verse is also to be applied to me. And that verse is also to be applied to you. Like Saul of Tarsus, there, there was a time when we all needed to be converted. We, need, we all needed to be saved by the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter how long we've been Christians. That describes all of us. Saul needed to be converted. And Jesus certainly knew that because he knows everything. And so the second thing I want us to notice now is his encounter with Jesus. Going back to the text, picking up with verse number three, notice how Saul is making his way to Damascus and he's been given authority to bind up Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. As he makes his way to Damascus, the Bible says that a light from heaven flashed around him. A light from heaven flashed around him. And when this took place, he heard and he saw Jesus. He heard the voice of Jesus, verse number 4 of Acts 9. And then in Acts 26 and verse 16, as Saul recounts his conversion story to King Agrippa, he also says he saw Jesus. He saw the resurrected Savior. He saw Jesus at the right hand of God. He heard Jesus. He saw Jesus. And Jesus began talking to him. Jesus actually asked him a question. He says, why are you persecuting me? The implication of that question is, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting my church? Why are you trying to destroy my kingdom? Jesus took what he was doing to his people very personally. Jesus asked Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you standing in the way of my, of my will? Jesus then identifies himself to Saul. Going back to verse number five, Saul asked Jesus, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Again, Jesus took what Saul was doing to the church very personally. Jesus identified himself to Saul, and then Jesus told him to get up. 
And he told him, you continue to go into Damascus, you enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Notice how after identifying himself to Jesus or, or to Saul, Jesus then gives him some further instructions. Jesus tells him, you need to get up and you need to go into the city because there's more I want you to understand. There's more I want you to know. There's more I want you to do. Now, it is interesting how Jesus, Jesus could have certainly taught Saul the gospel. Jesus clearly could have told Saul what to do to get, to get saved and to get his sins forgiven. But, but Jesus, that's, that's not the will of Jesus. Jesus will, when it comes to salvation, is for other disciples to teach that plan to the lost. Jesus told his people to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those were instructions Jesus gave to disciples. And so Jesus, while Jesus does speak to Saul on this occasion, he's not going to tell Saul what to do to, to get his sins forgiven. Jesus will give that responsibility to a disciple. Now, some other things we need to understand about Saul's conversion they're not found in Acts 9, but they're found in other places in the book of Acts because Saul will, he will recount his conversion story a few times in the book of Acts. In Acts 22, in verse number 6, we learn that this vision Saul had of Jesus occurred at about noon. It was about lunchtime. And the people who were traveling with Saul, his travel companions, they, they saw the light. They saw the light flashing around him, but they didn't understand the voice of the Lord. They didn't understand what was being said to Saul. Saul could understand, but they couldn't. This was a message that Jesus specifically had for Saul. The other men that were with Saul could not understand the voice. Now, when Saul got into the city, Jesus says he would then learn all the things that were appointed for him to do. The further instructions, Acts 22 and verse number 10. The Bible also says, when you go back to Acts number 9, that when Saul got up from, from here, after he had this vision of Jesus, and after he heard the voice of Jesus, he was blinded. And when he got into Damascus, he spent three days praying and fasting. The implication of that is Saul is humbled at this time. He has been humbled by Jesus Christ. He has been brought very low. He is experiencing godly sorrow. He now knows that Jesus is the Christ. He has seen the risen Savior, and he's praying and he's fasting for three days. Now, a common question that often comes up is why a miracle? Why a miracle? Why is Saul... Why is the process of his conversion involving a miracle? Because this is clearly a miracle going on here. This is clearly something supernatural. Saul is seeing Jesus. None of us have seen Jesus. Saul saw Jesus. He saw the risen Savior. He had a conversation with Jesus. He heard the voice of Jesus. This is something miraculous going on here. And so why? Why is Saul being converted in this way? Why is he being converted through the process of a miracle? 
Well, let me say a few things about that. First, let me say that the process of a miracle in the book of Acts, being involved in conversion, that's not really uncommon. That's not really anything that we don't read about a couple of other times in the book of Acts. For example, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Remember before Peter preached that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that the apostles were first baptized with the Holy Spirit. They first were immersed with power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them the miraculous ability to speak in tongues. He gave them the miraculous ability to speak in foreign languages that they had never formally been taught. A miracle took place on the day of Pentecost. Before those 3,000 people were baptized, they first heard the apostles miraculously speak in tongues. I'm also reminded of the case of Cornelius, Acts 10. Remember before Cornelius and his household were baptized in water, they also were first baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also gave them the ability to miraculously speak in foreign languages that they had never formerly been taught. And so both in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10, you find a miracle occurring before people are baptized in water. Now, the question is, were these people in Acts 2 and in Acts 10 saved by the miracle? No. When you read Acts 2 and read Acts 10, you see that the miracle of tongue speaking did not save those people. Instead, the miracle served as a sign. It was a sign from heaven. It was a sign from God that salvation had been made available to these people. And Acts 2, tongue speaking was a sign from heaven that salvation was now available to the Jews. It was a sign that whoever called on the name of the Lord would be saved. This sign was also involved in Acts chapter 10. In Acts 10, the household of Cornelius miraculously speaking in tongues was also a sign from heaven that salvation was available to the Gentiles. That the Gentiles could also call upon the name of the Lord. And so the miracle in Acts 2 was a sign that salvation had come to the Jews and the miracle in Acts 10 was a sign that salvation had come to the Gentiles. The miracle served as a sign. It did not save the people in either case. The miracle was not necessary for the Jews in Acts 2 to be saved, nor was it necessary for the Gentiles to be saved, and it also wasn't necessary for Saul to be saved. You see, the, the, the miracle that Saul experienced in Acts 9, it wasn't necessary for him to be saved. It, it was not involved specifically in his salvation. Instead, the miracle that Saul experienced was necessary for him to be an apostle. It was necessary for him to do the work as a special ambassador of Jesus Christ. Go in your Bible to Acts chapter 22. Go in your Bible to Acts 22 and listen to how Saul says this himself. Here at Acts 22, as he recounts his conversion in front of the Sanhedrin council, in Acts 22 in verse number 14, Acts 22 in verse 14, Saul said, the God of our father has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one, to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness. Notice, this is talking about Saul. 
God's will for Saul was for him to be a witness for him, for Jesus, to all men of what you have seen and heard. Put that what you find in Acts 26. Listen to what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said to King Agrippa. Acts 26 and verse 16. This is Paul recounting what happened in Acts chapter 9. Jesus said to him, but get up and stand on your feet for this purpose I have appeared to you. Notice how Jesus appeared to Paul. Paul saw Jesus. Why? Look at what the text goes on to say. To appoint you a minister and a witness. He had to be a witness. Not only to the things which you've seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Do you see the point? Here from Jesus, we learn why it was necessary for Saul to have that miraculous experience in Acts 9. The reason why he had to see the risen Savior. The reason why he had to see Jesus is because that was part of the qualifications for someone to be an apostle. You see, one of the key qualifications for someone to be a special ambassador of Jesus was they had to have seen the risen Savior. They had to have seen Jesus raised from the dead. Remember, Paul wasn't with the other twelve. He wasn't with Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew. He wasn't with those men for three years while Jesus did his public ministry. Paul was made an apostle later. And so by this time in Acts 9, before he travels the Damascus Road, he hasn't seen Jesus raised from the dead. Unlike Peter, James, and, and John, and Andrew, he cannot testify of a risen Savior. He can't testify of that yet, but after he sees Jesus in Acts 9, now he can testify of it. Now, like Peter, James, and John, and Thomas, and Andrew, he can also say, I saw the risen Savior. He can also say, I saw Jesus raised from the dead. This man is the Christ because I have seen his resurrection. It was necessary for Saul to see the risen Savior because it was God's will that he be an apostle. It was God's will that he also testified of seeing the risen Son of God with his own eyes. This miracle was not necessary for him to be saved, but it was necessary for him to be apostle, to be an apostle. It was necessary for him to be fully equipped to testify of seeing the risen Savior. You see, Saul was not saved on the Damascus Road. Saul was not saved just because he saw the risen Savior. Instead, he would not be saved until he got up and went into Damascus and heard further instructions from a disciple that would be sent by Jesus to him, and this disciple's name was Ananias. Ananias was sent by Jesus to Saul to tell him now, what he must do to become a Christian, what he must do to get his sins forgiven. 
You go back to Acts 9, you look at verse 11 through 12. And there Jesus comes to Ananias. Ananias is in Damascus. And he tells him to get up and go to a street called Straight. And he says, you go and you inquire at the house of a man named Judas and you ask for a man named Saul who is from Tarsus. This man is praying. This man is blind. And I'm going to give you the power to lay hands on him and give him his sight back. This man is humbled. You're going to find a blind man who is praying. You're going to lay hands on this man. You're going to give him his sight back. Now, when Jesus told Ananias to go to Saul, Ananias was very reluctant about this. He was very disturbed by this. Why? Because he had heard about Saul. He knew about Saul's reputation. He knew about the harm that Saul did to the saints in Jerusalem. He knew about the authority that the chief priest had given him to bind up Christians and throw them in jail as he traveled to Damascus. Saul had a bad reputation at this time. The Christians knew about this man. They knew about this man named Saul who was trying to destroy the church. They knew about him, even though this is during a time when you don't have Facebook or Twitter or, or Fox News or CNN. Saul still had a reputation at this time. He was still well known throughout the region. And Ananias didn't want to go to him. And Ananias is basically saying, Jesus, you're trying to get me killed here? This guy is crazy. You're going to send me to this guy? This guy hates people like me. He hates Christians. Are you going to send me to him? Jesus then told Ananias, I want you to go. You're going to go. Why? Because you can't see his heart. I can see his heart, Jesus says. I can see this man's heart. He's going to be a chosen instrument of mine. He's going to do a lot of good in my kingdom. He's going to bear my name to the Gentiles, the people who are not Jews. He's going to bear my name to kings. He's going to bear my name to the Jews. He's going to suffer a lot for my name's sake. This man may not look like he has a lot of potential, but Jesus says, I can see it. He's going to do a lot of good. He's going to make so much impact in my kingdom. He's going to take the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles, to the poor and to the rich. He's going to suffer a lot for me. Jesus says, Ananias, I want you to go. And I, Ananias did that. He got up. He departed. He went and found, found Saul. He laid his hands on Saul. Gave Saul his vision back. And after he went to Saul and gave him his vision back, the scripture says that he told him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you. He's telling him more about Jesus. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, it says, there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized. Saul was baptized. He was baptized by Ananias. He was given further instructions by Ananias. By the end of this unit in Acts 9, Saul is now a Christian. He's gone from persecutor to preacher, from persecutor to disciple. Now, some other key observations we need to make is once again, once again, 
Saul wasn't saved by that miracle on the Damascus Road. And that's what some people suggest, but nothing could be further from the truth. And I think anyone with an honest heart can see that in the text. Saul wasn't saved by the miracle he experienced. Saul wasn't saved on the Damascus Road. He also wasn't saved by saying a prayer. You know, today you hear a lot of preachers say, well, if you want to be saved, you want to become a Christian, just say a prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my personal Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Saul didn't do that. While he did pray for three days, his sins were still not washed away. You can't be saved without your sins washed away. His sins weren't washed away yet. He hadn't received forgiveness of sins. He hadn't become a member of the Lord's church yet. This man is praying for three days, and he still needs Ananias to come to him. This man is praying for three days, and he's still not saved. He still has not received the benefits of the blood of Jesus. I mean, if prayer could have saved anybody, you, you would think that it would have saved Saul, but it didn't. There was more he needed to do. This man didn't become a Christian by saying a prayer. And the same is also true today. No person is saved or becomes a Christian by saying a prayer. That is foreign. That concept is foreign to New Testament teaching. Saul so wasn't saved by the miracle. And he wasn't saved by saying a prayer. Instead, he was saved through the same process as everyone else in the book of Acts. He was saved when he believed in Jesus Christ. Through John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Belief is necessary to be saved. And Saul believed. He believed in Jesus. How do we know that? We'll go back to Acts 9 and verse 5. And notice how he called Jesus Lord. He wouldn't have called Jesus Lord if he didn't believe in Jesus. This man believed in Jesus. And he also repented of his sins. He also had a change of mind towards sin that would lead to a change in his life. He also felt godly sorrow over his sins. He also understood that his sins hurt God, and he was humbled by that. He decided to change and give his life to Jesus. You go back to Acts 9 and verse number 9. It says that this man was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. This man is, is not eating or drinking because he's feeling godly sorrow. The implication of this verse is Saul has been humbled. He's going through the process of repentance at this time. He's praying. He's not eating. He's humbled. He's repenting of his sins. And he also confesses Jesus as Lord. Again, Acts 9 and verse 5, he says, Lord. He called Jesus Lord. Confessing Jesus as the Lord is necessary for one to be saved, but not only did he believe, repent, and confess, he also was baptized. Acts 9 and verse 18, it says that he got up and he was baptized. Someone says, well, he was baptized to demonstrate that he was saved by faith alone. My friends, you need to study your Bible better. You need to go to Acts 22 and verse number 16, and you need to read what Saul himself says about why he was baptized. And Acts 22 and verse 16, Saul says that Ananias, when Ananias came to him, he says, why are you delaying? Why are you waiting? Get up 
and be baptized and what? Wash away your sins. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Notice how Saul's sins were not washed away until he was baptized. His sins were not washed away on the Damascus Road. His sins were not washed away by praying to God for three days. According to what the Bible says, Saul's sins were not washed away until he got up and was baptized. Saul was saved through the same process as everybody else in the book of Acts. What you find here is exactly how the Jews on Pentecost in Acts 2 were saved. It's how Cornelius in Acts 10 was saved. It was how the Samaritans were saved in Acts 8. It was how Lydia was saved in Acts 17. It was how the jailer was saved. It was how the Thessalonians were saved, how the Corinthians were saved, how those in Ephesus were saved, how the Ethiopian eunuch was saved. It's how everybody was saved in the book of Acts. The same process. But, you know, some, a lot of people, some people today, in fact, most religious folks say that I hear what you're saying, Sean, but baptism is not necessary. I mean, I'm with belief and I'm with repentance. I'm even with confession. But baptism, no, 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 no. You see, today, many religious folks deny the necessity of water baptism. They say, you don't need to be baptized if you want to be saved. No, no, no. You don't, need to, you don't need to be baptized. Now, if you want to do that as, a, as some demonstration, some public demonstration that you have been saved by faith alone, if you want to demonstrate some outward sign of inward grace, if you want to get baptized just to join a church or something, that's fine, but don't say baptism is necessary for salvation. A lot of people believe that. A lot of preachers believe that. A lot of preachers preach that. The question is, does Saul believe that? Did Ananias believe that, according to Acts 22, verse 16? Did Jesus believe that? When in Mark 16, verse 16, he himself said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. You see, my friends, if baptism is not necessary for salvation, and there are some questions we're going to have to deal with. One question is, how in the world would Saul have received forgiveness for his sins? Especially when you consider Acts 2 and verse 38, when Peter told those Jews on Pentecost to repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. How was Saul going to receive forgiveness of sins if he wasn't baptized, according to what the Bible says? How was he going to get his sins washed away? How was he going to call on the name of the Lord? Because in Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias told him, Arise and be baptized, having your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. How was he going to get his sins washed away? How was he going to call on the name of the Lord if he wasn't baptized according to the scripture? How was he going to be added to the church, the body, the universal body of saved people? Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, that we're baptized into the one body. The one body is the church of our Lord. How was Saul going to receive any of these benefits without baptism? Baptism is necessary. There's no doubt about it. And Saul, his conversion, was no different 
than what everybody else did in the book of Acts to become part of the Lord's kingdom. He believed in Jesus. He repented of his sins. He confessed Jesus as Lord. And he was baptized. Now, at this point, we finish our second lesson in this series. And we have seen how Paul was a persecutor of the church. He tried to destroy the church, but now he's a Christian. He's been converted. He's been baptized into Christ. He's a disciple. And what we want to do in our next video is we want to look at his life now that he's a Christian. Now that he's part of the same cause that he at one time opposed. So we'll look at Paul's preaching. We're now about to get into Paul's preaching in our next lesson. We're going to look at how Paul, once he becomes a Christian, he immediately gets busy doing the work of God. He immediately starts making an impact. And I look forward to studying with you in a few days and considering the impact he made in God's kingdom. Thank you.